0: The Tentative Apologist Podcast Time to Think I first encountered existentialist philosophy in university. Thinkers like Sartre, Kafka, and Camus had a big impact on me as they explored the seeming absurdity of existence with an unflinching bravery. Even if I didn't accept their conclusions, I had to admit that there was an authenticity in their writing that was often absent from the Christianity with which I'd been raised. Reality was messy, frequently bleak and often absurd. Doubt was, for many, a more constant companion than faith. And for every mountaintop experience of faith, the topography of life seemed to include at least one valley of despair, not to mention a slew of despond. For those familiar with the existentialist voice, it may be something of a revelation to find that the Christian Bible knows that experience well. One finds it in the penetrating ruminations of Job. The angst of lamentations, the withering cries of the psalmist. But its most philosophically penetrating expression is found in the book of Ecclesiastes. In this episode of the Tentative Apologist Podcast, we sit down for a discussion of Ecclesiastes with doctor Bill Anderson. Bill has a PhD from University of Glasgow and is professor of religious studies at Concordia University of Edmonton, where he teaches in the areas of Old Testament and Hebrew, and popular culture. He is also the director for the Canadian Centre for Scholarship and the Christian Faith, and editor-in-chief of the Canadian Journal for Scholarship and the Christian Faith. Bill has explored the voice of Kohelet in Ecclesiastes in two books, Skepticism and Ironic Correlations in the Joy Statements of Kohelet, Gorgias two thousand ten, and Kohelet and its Pessimistic Theology, Hermeneutical Struggles in Wisdom Literature Edwin Mellon Press, 1997. In this conversation, he takes us into the rich and earthy wisdom of this most profound and eloquent of literary works. Bill, it's great to have you joining us to talk about doubt, faith, and this strange book called Ecclesiastes. Let's start off maybe with some background on the book and s- perhaps the surprise that the book brings to the casual reader. People, they think about the Bible, they think about a book of faith, a collection of faith reflections on God and God's revelation to us. How does the book of Ecclesiastes fit into that picture?
1: Well, we can look at it from two sides. First of all, Ecclesiastes has become quite popular because in many ways it resonates with postmodern philosophy and deconstructuralism. Uh, and the inherent doubt and skepticism that we find in the broader philosophical and literary critical issues that um, post-modernism is interested in and employing. It's relevant because it was actually written for the intellectual elite in the ancient Near East in the royal court, and so the idea of designer labels of universal education, at least for those of us in the West, um, political power, now via democracy, but back then through aristocracy and the royal court. So these these are issues that are in the book of Ecclesiastes that are strangely relevant to the postmodern context. Going back to the issue of canon, however, Ecclesiastes was one of two books that was extremely hotly contested as to whether or not they would make it into the canon. So the Council of Jamnia, which was um, n- was the defining moment in terms of, of saying, yes, these are the books that are in... Late first century uh, um, AD? Yeah, 90 CE, after the fall of uh, Jerusalem by the Romans. One book was Song of Songs because it did not mention God. Uh, same problem with the Esther, but uh, for different reasons. But Ecclesiastes uh, was hotly contested precisely because of the radical doubt and skepticism towards Israel's traditional theology and traditional wisdom, um, as found in, say, the book of Proverbs. Song of Songs, because mm. it's, r- it's clear from genre recognition that it's a piece of hot ecclesiastical Um, erotic poetry, very common in the ancient Near East, Egypt, and even Mesopotamia. So, with Ecclesiastes, though, um, my own PhD supervisor was an atheist, and he believed that Ecclesiastes was included in the canon because it was just such a damn good read they had to have it. (laughs) In other words, he was saying the book had no right or reason to be included in the canon of scripture, but because it was such a brilliant literary masterpiece that they had to include it. I I don't agree with that argument. I'm a theist, I'm a Christian, I believe in the divine inspiration. I believe that that also includes a process of canonization, what books were included and excluded. However, I appreciate uh, the power of that argument and I think aesthetically, um, having a holistic worldview, I think the good art and theology can coexist very nicely together. So, I think ultimately it was included in the canon of scripture to serve a specific function.
0: Okay, what is that function?
1: Well, I'm borrowing here from Brever Child's work uh, from Yale University, passed away in 2007 became very, very, probably one of the most influential biblical theologians of the 20th century, for good or for ill. Again, my PhD supervisor was completely antithetical towards the canonical approach, and indeed he tortured me on the whole issue of canon because of it, though ironically he nominated Reverend Chowes for a a Doctor of Divinity degree from Glasgow (laughs) University for his contributions to the Presbyterian Church, Church of Scotland. Um, While well, I don't, uh, my uh, Old Testament theology um, and Biblical criticism is, is eclectic, I use a variety. I don't think that any one method or theory has all the truth, I think many of them have some truth. Um, I think that one of the most important things that I learned from the canonical approach is Brevard Child's idea of canonical function how is this piece of literature functioning in the canon so for example if we were to read the book of if we were to take the book of Ecclesiastes out of the canon we would realize that it is acutely critical of blind faith of simply going with the flow um... that um, he makes thirty-eight references to Elohim in that book. The same amount of same number as Hevel, ha, uh, vapor, breath, mm. vanity, meaninglessness, futility, transitoriness, um, smoke in the message, a, a puff of, yeah. a puff of an insubstantial mm. assertion. Um, and Ecclesiastes takes a very clinical, intellectual view of this. The Book of Job is just kind of a mess. He just kind of throws it all up and throws it all out. And, and he's just hurting and he's kind of ranting and raving. Whereas Ecclesiastes is, a, as I, I mentioned, a very intellectual and clinical take, and that includes God. So God is going to be objectively criticized. And uh, so... Uh, very often, a wedding text is Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 14. Uh, there's a time and a season for every activity under the heavens. Uh, what people? A time to be born, a time to die, a time the to birds. love. The birds, <laughs> yes. Classic uh, 1970s song. Um, I always fast forward to, if I'm doing a wedding to Ecclesiastes three eleven. he makes everything beautiful in his time. Mm. But what's actually at stake there is Ecclesiastes believes in God the Creator. He also believes He is sovereign Lord. There's a time to be born, a time to die, time for love, a time for hate, time for war, time for peace. The problem is there is a time and a season for every activity under the heavens. In the Hebrew, the Zamin. Uh, Zemin, um, in my own translation is it's predestined, a time and a season, mm. but in that context, I think it is about predestination. So Ecclesiastes believes that there is a God, that he is creator, that he's in control. It, he has a problem with that. And so uh, far from being um, well, it is a beautiful piece of poetry, but it's not particularly referencing the things that we. Um, on face value might assert. So again once you lift Ecclesiastes out of the Canon you can see a very um, critical view of God and that includes for example in 113 in the New International Version uh, the translation is I have seen the heavy burden that God has laid upon human beings but the actual Hebrew is this I have seen the evil affliction that God has afflicted us with. It's a very harsh theology proper that we find in the book. I talk about that in my book, uh, Koheleth and its Pessimistic Theologies, uh, Theology, Hermeneutical Struggles and Wisdom Literature. Um, And in that book, my methodology is to take a historical critical approach in part one, there you lifted up, uh, Ecclesiastes out of the canon, and you can see this very harsh theology proper. But also really challenges and questions anthropology, the nature of human beings, and traditional wisdom. So, for example, it has quite a bit to say about politics, and it has a lot to say about fools and foolishness. If we were only to read the book of Proverbs, you would. Uh, this is where we had health and wealth theology. If I just have Jesus in my heart, I'll, I'll be, have lots of money, I'll never get sick, and life will go fine. And if we only had the book of uh, Proverbs, you can derive that mm-hmm. theology yeah. out of it. Ecclesiastes says, you can be a really smart person, you can have it all going on, you can have lots of experience in the political arena, and a fool can tank you. And so uh, that is the fly in the ointment, the ruler of a, yeah. of a shouting fools in chapter 10. And like So again, the book has a lot to say about fools and foolishness and how in fact they can undermine traditional wisdom in ancient Israel. And, um, and then again, the destiny of the finality of death, that how death actually levels the playing field um, in the book of Ecclesiastes.
0: So is life absurd for Kohelet, for the, the narrator here in this book?
1: I think, unlike the book of Job, where we have a deus ex machina, we have the God speeches in 38 through 41, um, there is no savior to the rescue in Ecclesiastes. So the literary structure runs from the thesis in 1 to Havel Havelim, Hakol Havelim. Everything is vanity, vanity, meaningless, meaningless. Absurd, absurd. Michael Fox, a very famous Jewish scholar, that's his singular translation of wow. Hevel in the book as absurd. I think it's actually a play on words that includes absurdity. The book is an inclusio that ends on the same theme that it began, and so it actually concludes in twelve eight. And so, between the thesis in 12 and twelve 1-2 eight are the arguments to support the thesis, and he can he ends as he begins. Havel Havelin. Everything is vanity, everything is absurd, everything is meaningless. So he's still in an acute faith crisis at the end. Mm. I'm I'm a scholar who believes the epilogue is an editorial edition. I still believe that's divinely inspired. Um, my own PhD supervisor and others would say that's one of the mechanisms that's, that was used to keep the book in the canon. Uh, I don't particularly adhere to that specific argument, but I do believe it was inspired and I do believe it has a, also a, a function for that book. But I think the value is that some believers, and the last time I preached uh, in church, Ecclesiastes happened to be the text on the church calendar. And I said that there are some of you who have grown up in a Christian home and you're married to a Christian spouse and you're bringing your family up as Christians in the church and you were sitting in that pew and you were dying because you really don't know what you believe and you don't feel that you can be open and honest with your spouse or your family or with your pastors or with the church because you're going to be criticized for your lack of faith and I'm here to say to you that I believe that God put the book of Ecclesiastes in the canon of scripture precisely to tell you that you're okay you are not pathological that it is normal and that it is good to doubt and to question and um... I think that can make for much stronger more mature profound faith than. I think it relates to the the question of uh, one of the issues in the book of Job. Does Job serve God for nothing? What are our motives for serving God? So in the lecture hall I've often talked about this. Do I only serve God and love God when everything is going my way? What are my motives for serving God? And after I've asked these difficult questions, after I've um, returned uh, a number of times back to atheism. Why am I a theist? Why am I a Christian specifically? I have found that my Christian faith based in the Bible, Sola Scriptura, the sole source of authority in all matters pertaining to faith in the life of the individual in the church, to be true. Um, My faith isn't based on what I don't know. I do not know why there's innocent suffering. I hate the problem of evil. I don't like it when my life isn't going very well and I get angry with God. One time this nice little, little lady came up to Martin Luther and says, oh Dr. Luther, you must love God so much because you serve him and do all these wonderful things. He said, love God? Sometimes I hate him. And I've certainly felt those feelings and I think any thinking Christian or feeling Christian, a Christian that's dealing in the real world with the problems of evil and innocent suffering and determinism. Life isn't working out the way I think it should be. But again, my faith isn't based on what I don't know. It's based on what I do know. I do know that the Gospels are historiography, as substantiated by the archaeology. I know that Jesus was born under the reign of Caesar Augustus, that he began his ministry around 30 in the fifteenth year of Tiberius, Emperor of Rome. I know that he suffered under Pontius Pilate and I know that he was um, there was eyewitnesses to his literal physical miraculous resurrection in time and space as documented in the New Testament. And when I think my student did her independent study on reckless love in Hosea 1-3 through and the Passion of the Christ, the liturgical piece of, Hmm. not the movie, Um, that God commands the Holy Prophet Hosea to marry a shrine prostitute named Gomer. And she has illegitimate children in tow. And they have children. And then she leaves them and she starts living with another man. And he's a prophet a pastor, so to speak. is why I love the Bible. It's cutting edge. It's, it's today. It's happening. It's relevant. It's meaningful. And God commands him to go back and literally to redeem her. And this is his love for his people, Israel. And when I think that God became human in the form of Jesus, hung out in a scabby town called Nazareth, worked as a carpenter, and hung out with prostitutes and the scum of the earth, tax collectors. And then he goes and he suffers and makes substitutionary penal atonement for my sins. I am insanely kooky in love with this kooky, crazy God who loves me. And while I continue to struggle with the issues of evil and innocent suffering, my faith isn't based on what I don't know. I don't know the There's no biblical answer to those problems or questions. It's based on what I do know about this God. And he's worth loving and serving. And the book of Ecclesiastes, my PhD work was driven by, really by pastoral care. How could this dark and negative book so full of doubts and questions, not only doubts and questions, pessimism goes beyond that. It's a, it's a, a lack of hope for a future. Um, how could it be used for positive purposes in the life of of struggling believers in the church? And I knew that it could because it had done so in my life. Again, coming back to the idea of a thinking Christian, someone who is engaged and living in the real world. These are common questions, doubts and struggles common to human beings and I think really inside the church as well. Ecclesiastes speaks to those.
0: I was at a church a few years ago, and they were launching this new course, Christianity Explored, and then the pastor said, we can go there Tuesday nights to ask all these big questions, you know, whatever's bothering you. And I thought, well, that's great, but why does it have to be just at a course on Tuesday night? Why isn't the church embracing questions and struggling? Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes we end up selectively reading the canon, and we miss Mm -hmm. these voices that are there for a providential reason Mm -hmm. to challenge us and also that we can simply identify with them that we're on that same place and there's comfort knowing that that mm-hmm. God isn't gonna judge you just because you have a question or a doubt.
1: And that the Bible addresses these que- it, it, it's the Bible itself that raises these que- questions and problems in Job and in Ecclesiastes and in the songs my God my God why have you forsaken me? Um, so God gets it. If God is omniscient, <laughs> he knows the questions, he knows the problems. When I'm teaching the book of Job, I tell students, I mean, if, if we're in denial about these struggles that we're having, we're only fooling ourselves. We're only lying to ourselves because God in his omniscience knows what we're really thinking and what we're really feeling. And I think that that's the... After, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, for me the next most important gospel text is, you have not spoken rightly of me as my servant Job has. Job's friends have pristine, ideal, Mm. evangelical theology. The problem is is that it was inadequate and lacking in perspective. And it is Job who is the mess. It's Job who's doubting God. Because the irony Mm. in Job is that it's not Job who's being tested, it's God who's on trial. And um, while there's no answer to the questions or problems raised by the book, uh, it is this relationship um, that lasts. And I think Job and Ecclesiastes are very timely and very postmodern in that sense that um, even the idea of the age of information, we are inundated by all kinds of competing worldviews, religious views, philosophical ideas, and people are overwhelmed, and there's a sense of deconstruction. And um, I think that the Bible really is still very relevant and cutting-edge, and I, I believe that God, again, part of the function of those books in the canon is to, to address those very issues. And so, agreeing with what you're saying, why should it only be a Tuesday night for mm-hmm. a session, you know, a month or something like that? I think these are ongoing questions that in the 21st century Pluralistic West are, are ongoing. And so, yeah.
0: I'd, I'd love to see a pastor you know, do a scripture reading in church and just read meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless, and just yeah. kind of let it hang, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not have to explain it. Bill, thank you very much for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me, and God bless your work.
0: Well, that's it for this episode of the Tentative Apologist podcast. For more episodes of the podcast, you can visit us online at randallrauser.com.